Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So China, what do we make of China and its relationship with this country and with the rest of the world? We now know that we're not going to send diplomatic representation to the Beijing Olympic Games. The uh, genocide against the weaker population, that was voted on unanimously. The uh, genocide definition was supported unanimously in Canada's parliament, although Justin Trudeau and his entire cabinet declined to vote on that particular motion. That, to me, speaks volumes. There's the denial of freedom in Hong Kong, threats toward Taiwan. There is, of course, the imprisonment of the two Michaels. With the uh, federal foreign affairs minister parroting the official Chinese government line that the Michaels were released on bail. Nothing in there about Meng Wanzhou. And uh, the Trudeau liberals offering a deal to the opposition parties on the parliamentary standoff over documents tied to the firing of the Winnipeg lab scientists who are now in China. And there's a death sentence hanging over Canadian Ronald Schellenberg, also in China. There's so much going on in that country. And uh, a lot of it affects us because they're not exactly kind to us. I don't think they have a particularly high opinion of us. I think they think of us as being useful. And unfortunately, it seems to me that this government of ours, this Trudeau government of ours, is just playing ball with them. I mean, Mr. Trudeau did say prior to becoming prime minister, he admired the way the current Chinese government does things because they just do whatever they want. I'm paraphrasing, of course. It's very difficult for me to quote Justin Trudeau. Okay, let's get at this. Uh, Margaret McQuaid Johnston joins us, uh, China expert, former assistant deputy minister in the Canadian government. She's a senior fellow with the Graduate School of Public Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Margaret, thank you very much for coming on the program. Good to be with you again, Roy. What do we make, first of all, of China and its relationship with the rest of the world? They, they are the, uh, they're the manufacturers for much of the world, and yet they're at odds with much of the rest of the world. What do we make of their current situation? Well, it's really interesting. It appears to be that they feel that as an aspiring superpower, the way they should, would be successful is by being aggressive and treating other countries as vassal states. Um, that's really what the Belt and Road Initiative, initiative is about, where they're uh, building infrastructure in many countries around the world, uh, countries that then go into debt because they can't pay back the uh, interest uh, that, the, on the, the loans. And, and so the, the China takes over the ports. And so, you know, you see this also in the way they treat their neighbors, uh, trying to move the border of India and Bhutan and uh, sending fleets of uh, boats out to um, threaten uh, Coast Guard in the Philippines. So it's really, it's really quite a, a different country than we're used to collaborating with. And they don't seem to have the message that being friendly with other countries and working with them is a much more effective way uh, to get ahead in international relations. It doesn't seem like they really care. It just certainly doesn't seem like they really care about getting along with Canada. Australia's stood up to them, but this country, I think by and large, has not stood up to China. Uh, but they don't, they don't really seem to care, the two Michaels being a, a case in point. Uh, and uh, and the, 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 uh, the ambassadors, Chinese, China's ambassadors to Canada, Ambassador Kong particularly, has from inside Canada been quite willing to take pot shots 
at this country. And, uh, you know, if you suggest that Huawei's switches shouldn't be used in the 5G system, well, that's enough to uh, to get the, the tirade flowing. They don't seem to care, Margaret. Well, they're trying to treat us as a small power. And in fact, uh, there was a, a message that they gave to Canadian government officials that Canada is not a middle power, Canada is a small power, and it has to stop leaning towards the, the US. The problem has been over the last uh, three and a half years that when those kinds of threats have been made, Canada has acted like a small power by not making a decision on Huawei, by not making a decision as to whether the CRTC should continue to allow Chinese uh, television networks in Canada when they're airing um, forced confessions, uh, by not publishing certain uh, documents and papers that are critical of China, just because that might be seen as poking the dragon. One senior official said um, uh, in, at an event I heard, uh, that um, our trade with China would continue to do well as long as we don't do anything stupid. And that <laughs> seems to me strikes the bottom line of the government. So now that we have the Michaels back, I think the government is going to start to stand up to China. We saw that with the diplomatic um, boycott with the Olympics. And we'll likely see that this week uh, when the government is highly likely to ban Huawei from our 5G system. Yeah, it's taken a long time for that decision to be made. And uh, the, really, the, uh, the Beijing Olympics not sending diplomatic representation to the Beijing Olympic Games. It took us a couple of days after the United States to, uh, to, make, to make that decision public. It just seems to me that we're... We're chasing the ball when it comes to dealing with China, and they feel they feel they can pretty much do with us as as they choose. One of the strategies Canada has used uh, during this period is to try to work with other countries uh, so that there's a, a bigger force against uh, China, whatever the the issue is. And we saw that uh, with the uh, uh, genocide of, of the uh, people in Xinjiang. East Turkestan, uh, the Uyghurs, where um, the uh, Canadian Parliament and parliaments of other countries have uh, spoken out uh, against uh, the Uyghur genocide, have called it a genocide. We even uh, made Magnitsky sanctions against four senior officials uh, in Xinjiang and one major corporation that's been building all these um, concentration camps. And, but we did that with the U.S., the U.K., and the E.U. And so uh, we like um, to, to find comfort in numbers. And that's, again, what happened with the Olympic boycott. The, um, the U.S. announced, uh, then Australia, the U.K., and then Canada. And New Zealand had announced back in October that they wouldn't be sending any, any government officials. But they used the excuse of COVID. Right. Um, and they now say, well, we've also raised the issue of human rights. I fully expect some more European countries to sign on to that uh, Olympic boycott. There's certainly some time before it starts in early February. Yeah, they just seem to have confrontation after confrontation with different countries in different parts of the world, as you say, with their neighbors, but also extended countries geographically far extended from, from China. And we live in a dangerously, I think, unsteady world with many competing interests. And the Chinese military is massive and growing constantly. 
There are concerns that they have uh, military objectives and that they will perhaps exercise them against Taiwan, even though that would lead to some really serious conflagration with the United States. Do you have concerns that China may have maybe taking military steps arbitrarily in the, in the not-too-distant future? Well, I, I have very serious concerns about that. Um, and, uh, you know, we see that often the Chinese leaders uh, don't tell the truth. Um, one might say they lie. But the, uh, Xi Jinping uh, instructed his generals to be ready to attack Taiwan uh, he, he instructed them back in 2018 to be ready to attack in 2020. And now we see the buildup of military along the coast. We've seen military exercises uh, that look like large groups of soldiers landing on a beach in China, could be a beach in Taiwan. And we've seen daily uh, flights, overflights over Taiwan territory. Now, the U.S. has also made some really strong comments that China shouldn't think about doing such a thing. Japan has actually come out and said that such a thing uh, would be uh, a tantamount of a, an attack on Japan. That came uh, as an unofficial statement from the previous Prime Minister, um, Prime Minister Abe, but uh, but it could be it's certainly seen as a very strong statement from from Japan and Japan, the US, Australia and India have gotten together in something called the Quad, the Quadrilateral Agreement, uh, so four countries, uh, to focus on the defense of that region. And technology is one uh, area that they're working on that I think Canada could very well contribute to. Yeah, we also have the, uh, the Australians, the Brits, the UK, and the United States with their... Uh, well, a military approach toward China. And uh, it's interesting to me that they didn't, it seems that like Canada wasn't asked to participate. Margaret, what really interests me as well, because you're, uh, you're uh, a senior fellow with the Graduate School of Public Affairs at the University of Ottawa. How much interest is there in the youngest or the younger demographics in the relationship of Canada with China? How much interest is there in, in China among younger Canadians? Well, there is certainly some, but it's concerning to see that actually at a time when we need to be developing our capacity uh, within our government on China and in the business community and in academia, we can't seem to attract students to go to China. So certainly they're not going now with the pandemic on uh, and kind of some of the scary things that they heard about uh, in terms of the clampdown um, when the pandemic first started in China and how people were treated, uh, you know, being being locked into their homes, literally. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, I think, you know, there's a lot of fascination, but we can't get them to go. Uh, it's, it's fewer than 5,000 a year go, mm -hmm. whereas we have 140,000 Chinese coming here. And uh, so that's, we need to develop our, our capacity to understand that country. Um, I'm pretty uh, negative about a lot of the behaviors of the Chinese government right now. But at the same time, I recognize that China's a growing force in the world, um, often a growing negative force, um, doing some positive things uh, in a few little corners of the world. Um, but we need to have a, a, a good understanding of our crop of diplomats coming up, our government leaders, our business leaders, 
to understand uh, the weaknesses of China and uh, and how to deal with it effectively. Yeah. I, I tell you, I wouldn't want to go after uh, seeing the two Michael situation develop the way it did and the arbitrary imprisonment of, uh, of Michael Skorvig and Spavor for three years. That's pretty nasty business, and it just seems that they're belligerent about everything. But what, I'd, what I'm interested in as well, because there's been a lot of talk about this, and we've done interviews on this program about the situation with the biolab in, uh, in Winnipeg, and uh, the scientists who were fired, um, removed by the RCMP, they're now in China, with the liberals offering the opposition parties a deal on the opposition's demand to see the government information on that particular security fiasco, and Mr. Trudeau suing the Speaker of the House because he didn't want to make the information available prior to the deal being offered. What do you make of the Winnipeg Lab situation? What do you think the bottom line on that is? Well, we won't know until the, the documents are released, if they're ever released. We know that um, there that the, the senior um, Chinese scientists had a lot of Chinese students working in that lab with them. The students were all made to leave when they, when they were forced to leave because of national security concerns. They did transfer um, samples of Ebola to China without the proper documentation. Um, in that case, it was a, a problem of protecting Canadian intellectual property that surrounded the, the research on that, and it wasn't properly protected. Um, there it didn't seem to be um, anything dangerous. It was just a protection of IP issue. Um, but there seems to be something broader, and we know that the two scientists invited a third scientist who was from a military university in China. Yeah. And there's a lot of this in Canada, much more than you would think. Um, uh, the last number I heard was 83 military uh, institutions collaborating with uh, Canadian universities um, and uh, in a one-year period. And the year before it was 120. Um, this is something that should not be happening. The Chinese military are not our friends. And the fact that there would be these kinds of collaborations going on is chilling, in my view, uh, we have a great strength in artificial intelligence, photonics, um, many other areas of technology that are of great interest to the Chinese military. Right. And we should be keeping as far away from them as possible. So there could be some, some dimension of that that's included in the documents. Yeah, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, always seems to pop up. Uh, when you when you start to look, you follow the trail from scientists or whatever it happens to be that you look that involves this country in, an, in any kind of dispute situation with uh, with China, the People's Liberation Army in one way or another pops up and it speaks to the significance of the PLA to the G, G government and, and the and the impact they can have. We have a minute left, Margaret. How should this country move forward in 2022 in our dealings with China? How should the Trudeau government and the opposition parties, because they can't just stand in the weeds and fire broadsides, they have to do something or provide something positive or at least something that you can work with. What should we be doing going forward? Well, the Parliamentary Committee on Canada-China Relations, which we've had in place for the last couple of years, has played a major role in bringing issues to the fore and making really uh, interesting and constructive uh, contributions as, as recommendations. So I think that should continue. 
I think that we need a reset on our China policy. I'm expecting in the next couple of months to see an Indo-Pacific strategy, which would allow for Canadian companies that are too invested with too much risk in China to pivot to other countries in the Indo-Pacific region. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. It's something that I recommended a couple of years ago. Um, further, I think that within that Indo-Pacific strategy, we're going to have to have an identification of uh, how to circumscribe our role with China to do things that are constructive All on right. climate change and the environment, but not some of these more uh, sensitive uh, issues, especially on yeah. technology. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.